Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what's up? Welcome in. GC Live Monday episode. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark. A little late getting started here for the live crew. That's 100% on me. But I'm back. Uh, took Friday off, Chris. I was a little bit worried that you might have uh, Dennis Thomas just, like, replace me. I heard he was he was really good on Friday. Y'all didn't miss me at all. But I uh, was able to get out of town a little bit, have an interesting weekend. And then it was an interesting weekend in, in Gamecock Nation as well. Uh, well. We'll talk some football just because we always talk a little bit of recruiting here on the show. But South Carolina landing – I guess you would say they landed a commitment. That's that's the deal. Every time Beamer sends out the welcome home, that means it's just like the Spurs up. With Muschamp, that prospect has not let himself be known yet, so we will respect that from him. Chris, you know, w- with any podcast, there's always a chance this happens. I guarantee he'll probably tweet his commitment publicly within, like, 30 minutes of this podcast actually going up on the podcast network so that everything we talk about, you know, we, we won't be able to have like comments on the new thing for this day, which we love for the podcast to be about whatever's new that day. So uh, that prospect committing on Saturday still, as we do this on Monday has not uh, made himself known, but of course we'll have complete coverage of that GamecockCentral.com Once he does baseball, I would say for the most part of the first two games against Mississippi State, really, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty dominant performance from from Mississippi State. But South Carolina did uh, battle back to an extent on Saturday. Then, of course, wins the game on Sunday, salvage that. They end an SEC losing streak. Um, you know, so you had that this weekend. You had what would you call a graduation gate uh, that that has some Gamecock fans a little bit ticked off uh, at the president, uh, President Caslin. So. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll get into that or not. But if y'all have thoughts on that, if you're on the live version of the show, you can certainly throw that in the comments on YouTube or Facebook. But uh, Chris, what's up, man? Yeah, man, it was a good weekend. I did give a a little bit of consideration on Friday with Coach Thomas's performance. We did have a vote. You are allowed to stay on. Nice. But he was an excellent guest. If if anybody missed that. Um, I went as far as it, man, it was, it was one of my favorite interviews I've done, like in a sort of a forward facing type of thing. I mean, I've had a, you know, man, we've had a lot of very interesting conversations. Most of our our most interesting conversations would not be printable, would not be on the record type thing. But um, as far as just interviews, you know, you and I always talk about this, you know, whether it's a prospect or a coach or some particular person that we've talked to for stories before, sometimes you got some of those that have, you know, sort of hold that place as being one of the better ones. I thought Dennis Thomas was just because he has a really cool perspective. You know, he, he got to South Carolina under Brad Scott, but then played for Lou Holtz. So he's in that transition from 0-11 to the 8-win season the next year, top 25. Um, he coached under Steve Spurrier and Brad Lawing, talked about some of those players that he was able to coach, Melvin Inger, Jadavion Clowney. And he had some really good thoughts, too, on – on Shane Beamer. He obviously knew Beamer from his previous stint at South Carolina. They were on the same staff together. It just gave some thoughts on, on the job that he's doing at South Carolina. So it was a great interview. If you missed it, make sure you go back and check it on the podcast network or go to youtube.com slash Gamecock Central and check out Friday's GC Live. It was a, it was a good time. And we had, a, I don't want to, that to overshadow too much we had on Colin Taylor, who did a fantastic job as always. But but Dennis Thomas did a great job. So make sure you check that out if you have not already. Yeah, and, and as Chris said, every single podcast we do, um, unless we have a really bad one, then we just don't upload it, uh, the audio. Um, actually, there's only been maybe one or two that we have not uploaded, and it's been more because of audio issues or 
issues on my end with my connection, which knock on wood has been fixed and, and really good uh, ever since those those issues we were having. But uh, every single show, for the most part, you can find it youtube.com slash Gamecock Central or any podcast platform, whatever you prefer, Apple, uh, the Google Pod stuff, any of that stuff, you can uh, you can find it on there. And every single show is, of course, brought to you by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Check out Clint, clinthammond.com, or give him a call, 803-771-6933. And uh, Clint is, of course, the primary presenting sponsor here on the show. And uh, his number, his uh, MLS number is 71597. You can hit Clint up at chammond at mortgagenetwork.com or again, 803-771-6933. Great time to buy a house or great time actually to to refinance if you, you know, may, maybe you're not wanting to get out there into what is a crazy housing market right now, but uh, want to save a little bit of money and take advantage of these super low interest rates. Give Clint a shout. Tell him that Wes and Chris sent you. And of course, he will uh, get you taken care of. So, as uh, as Mike Yuva points out here, big week for young Colin Taylor, twenty two years old this week. Ooh, wow! Is he really only twenty two? I think that's right. He's an accomplished individual for being twenty two years Dang, old. Okay, yeah, I think that's right. Um, interesting. By the way, so I was on JB and Goldwater earlier today, and they said they were having. Food connoisseur Colin Taylor on oh, after me. Brutal. And I, I I almost fell out of my chair um, because they I, I had to point out that that's that he's never he's never been called food connoisseur Colin Taylor before. So I don't know. May, maybe Colin Taylor. Maybe Colin Taylor has greater. Maybe you have a greater appreciation for Colin's food takes than I do. I don't know, but yeah. So how how old is Colin? You know, I was just trying to think. Normally, you know, because we sometimes we play ball together and we have to say our age. Uh, God, I don't know. Maybe I th- I thought twenty two was legit. It seems like he just like graduated like a couple years ago, but maybe he's more along the twenty five lines, something like that. Yeah, I guess he's not twenty. He's not twenty two. Here's yeah. the thing: once you get to a certain age, the numbers are like, yeah, like you don't even think about ages. I feel like, or you try not to. Try not to. Um, for sure. Yeah, Collins. What 25, 26? Maybe he's about twenty five. Let, let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. And talk about his age. Talk about his age and dinosaur chicken nuggets. He loves um, some dinosaur nuggets. And you know, the other day. I thought I was going to have to, full disclosure, we like to be honest on the show. I thought I was going to have to fill some more time on the other on the show the other day. And so we almost got into like a big picture discussion with Colin on like how he, you know, started out writing, doing some intern stuff for Gamecock Central and then became a full-time writer and all that. But we, we didn't get into that. But I did say at some point we're going to do that. So maybe next time we have Colin on, Wes, We'll talk about that, and we'll get his actual age if we do not find out before then. Yeah, well, maybe we can get him an actual day off for his his birthday. <laughs> That'd, That'd be probably nice. be nice. He probably he doesn't want it. He doesn't need a day off. Yeah, a real live day off. Um, by the way, Yuva, do you have like a freaking Yuva bat sign or something like a bat signals? Because somebody somebody said the word Yuva earlier, and Mike just pops up in the in the chat. So. I think he has some signal that's just like, hey, somebody mentioned you here. It yeah. just goes off. It like shoots into his apartment room or something and says. He has, a, uh, he has an API online that just pulls any mention of my you yeah. online. Yes. Uh, Big Colin 26. Okay, there it is. Um, according to sources, will be 26. According a source who's close to a source, according to Colin. Yes. Um, yeah, maybe we should talk about sports. I don't know. We're like completely unprepared for the show today, but let's talk a little bit of baseball, I guess, y'all. I mean, it was looking really bad for about two games there. Um, and let's see, Rob says he's been trying to email me, but he got it wrong. I'll, I'll shoot you an email, Rob. Um, so baseball really just struggled for two games. 
I will say this. Mississippi State may win the College World Series, like if they have any luck. Because, you know, South Carolina has – if there's any team that can, like, rank the rest of the teams, it should be South Carolina and their coaching staff. Everybody that's anybody. And, you know, Arkansas, very impressive. Texas, obviously, earlier this year, very impressive. But, man, Mississippi State, the way these dudes handle the bats is like the if, – if you were going to write a, a thesis – I'm going to use that word again. If oh, you're going to write a thesis about how the analytics have gone too far and how the home run ball and exit velocity versus – um, you know, all that stuff, launch angle has sort of gone too far and doesn't necessarily quite ap- apply to college baseball the, the way it does to the MLB, then Mississippi State is your example there. Because those dudes handle the bats. It kind of reminded me, y'all remember the 2012 College World Series final when South Carolina played Arizona? Oh, man. And those dudes handle the bats better than anybody. Now, Mississippi State, I would imagine just off top, has has more power than those Arizona guys do because they their entire lineup, top to bottom, was just single, 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 double, single. But as far as when they get – when Mississippi State gets into two-strike counts, being able to shorten up and put bat on ball, I haven't seen anybody better this year at doing that. So – those dudes were very, very impressive to be able to have power, but also be able to swing opposite field approach, stuff like that. Extremely impressive. So I, by, by my count, Mississippi State may be the best team in the country. We'll see if it plays out like that. But really rough weekend for South Carolina's pitchers. First two games, they go into Sunday, get a good start from Thomas Farr, get a just Herculean effort from Brett Carey, find a way to win in the end. And, you know, I, I think, Chris, I know Mark Kingston, he compared it to the Vanderbilt Game 3 win and hoping that could maybe spark something. You got a chance to beat Clemson again this week. Obviously, South Carolina fans would have loved for, for Jack Mahoney to be on the mound for this one. That's not going to happen, but we'll see where that what direction they go. But an opportunity maybe to find some momentum again. I think, you know, Colin West really, I think, nailed the worst-case scenario for South Carolina on Friday. And so, interestingly, you know, he sort of drew a comparison in that Mississippi State and South Carolina, when you're looking at just the statistics, which can can be liars, obviously, but how they were similar in some ways. And Mississippi State's lineup from a power perspective and some of the hitting numbers – actually similar to South Carolina and being towards the back like third of the conference, which you think, wow, I mean, this is one of the best teams in the country. But here's what he pointed out. As you said, Wes, and as we saw after this weekend, they're really good at getting on base. They can hit doubles. They can hit singles. We saw a lot of that. And I remember one of the lines that Colin had was that you can't let this team start singling you to death. Right. And so that's something that you mentioned earlier that, you know, ended up the, the way that they handled the bat. South Carolina needed to, you know, get them out early, you know, get some strikeouts, someone put the ball in play. And so it didn't play out as much that way. So, yeah, I mean, another, you know, a disappointing result. It was obviously quality to salvage that that game three win in comeback fashion. And even, you know, when you look at Mark Kingston, I'm sure he's not happy about this weekend's result. You do get game three in comeback fashion, which was which was fantastic for this team. Maybe it does spark something, a lot of excitement at the end of that game. And even in game two, you showed fight, which is something he mentioned. So that's a really good team you played, obviously. And we knew that with some of the competition that South Carolina faced this season, there was going to be adversity. That They weren't going to get through and take a series – they weren't going to take every SEC series. They were, they were going to drop some. And as the schedule's gotten progressively, I think you could argue more difficult. That that has happened. But, um, you know, the other angle we talked about on Friday was just, and we ask this every week, you know, what does this mean for hosting? And so it's going to be tough for South Carolina now, um, given, given what's happened and so many SEC teams, even within the conference, vying for those spots. So disappointing result, but 
like you said, man, maybe maybe they can take that game three and, and you know use that as a springboard. And you know that so so basically the way this is going to work, y'all, is this week they are going to name twenty potential hosting spots. Now, obviously, the way they they do the tournament, there will only be sixteen hosts in the end. They're going to name 20 of them who have a chance this year to be a host. I would imagine after, I mean, it ended up being, what, six SEC losses in a row because you had the tail end of the Arkansas game or the Arkansas series. Then you had the entire Ole Miss series and the first two games of Mississippi State. So you have six SEC losses in a row. I think Carolina's probably right even on the line of the 20 as far as uh, if, if they're in that conversation or not. But I will say they'll get into the 20 conversation. Now, they're going to have to, I would I would think, have a really good week. And I don't remember exactly when it gets cut to 16, Chris, but they need to find some Ws. And, you know, you look, golly, ten, I mean, Tennessee, of all people, they finished the year with them. Tennessee's really good this year as well, and I think leading the SEC East now. So Tennessee really good. You know, going to Kentucky, it's it's never actually easy. Kentucky, we don't think of as being some traditional SEC power, but I mean, that's another program that will step up and like. It seems like they'll have some really off years, but then they'll step up and have some really good years too. So going there, it seems like traveling to Kentucky is never easy for South Carolina. I don't know why. That's I don't know the exact numbers, but off the la- you know the last twenty years, it seems like going to Kentucky is never a fun trip. So. You know, I think you you look at that, doesn't get easier. You got Clemson this week without your guy who's been outstanding on um you know on week on week day series, and so it'll be tough. But it's been tough all year, so we'll see where it goes from here. We'll see if that's a spark. Um, but Brett Carey, man, talk about talk about stepping up when it was needed. Talk about Jeff Heinrich uh, stepping up, and you know even when they when they I'll be honest when they pinch it and went to Heinrich, I was just like. I don't know about this move, you know, coming off the bench. Uh, you know, they had had several pinch hitter situations before. They pinched hit to Bunt. They pinch hit with Connor Sino. Then they pinch hit with Heinrich. And I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. And then he comes up huge on two separate occasions. And uh, then, of course, David Mendham gets the big hit there to score, to score Heinrich in the 11th to win the game. Just a, a clutch performance all the way around for those guys. Uh, did you see – by the way, the after Heinrich scored, the toss of the helmet. Yes. I thought for sure somebody was about to get sniped running onto the field and just like completely wiped out by the helmet. Yeah, that was A plus. I, I was I was a fan of it. But yeah, that that was a little, little friendly fire there for sure. Could it could have been bad. Like I don't want to sound like an old person, but that that actually really could have like, a helmet going that high and then hitting you in the head unexpectedly. <laughs> And that, then you're on, then you're on ESPN. You're on Twitter. You're oh. on uh, oh, yeah. the uh, that guy. Who's the guy? J uh, J Boy or whatever that that does all the the Twitter baseball breakdowns and stuff. Oh, yeah, you'd be getting lit up on that thing. You're getting yeah. lit up. But anyway, so we'll we'll see what happens moving forward. Let's go back to a little bit of football, Chris. I so again, there there's not there's not really a whole lot right now. Football-wise, uh, staff getting a little bit of a break right now. This is what I would call the calm before the storm. Um, before you get into June, and June is going to be a storm. Like, it is going to be active. That means it's active for South Carolina football. That means it's active for us at Gamecock Central. Recruiting, very, very active. Plenty of content. We're actually going to have to figure out what we're going to do with the show on camp days in June because uh, it's probably going to be some – some shifting of things because we'll be at camp. But, Chris, interesting discussion I had, again, with the JB and Goldwater, those guys today, about the rule changes coming to college football. And, you know, this is something where it hasn't been completely – my understanding is it hasn't been – Division One Council has not, like, accepted all the rules yet. But um, – it's kind of in that process where it's it's like a foregone conclusion. It's going to be accepted at some point. And I don't know how much you've sort of had a chance to dive into this yet, and I don't have it up in front of me right now. But the, the basics of it are you're taking 
you're saying the Oklahoma drill, pretty much throw that away. You're having no back-to-back hitting days, which we've already done away with two-a-days. And, Chris, uh, I think you're taking away some of the days you can hit in general, the limiting the number of full padded practices and just kind of doing what some teams already do quite a bit of anyway. We've seen a push towards this more and more and putting everybody on the same plane as far as what is allowed and what is not with how much physicality you can show in practice moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that's really been, um, you know, a point of emphasis for some time. I mean, the, the game has moved more and more towards, you know, player safety, play, player empowerment overall, and that's a whole a whole another conversation, but just the safety aspect of it as things have become more and more thinking about the health of the players, thinking about the, the wealth of the players, but on the health side, you know, how do you limit things? And so – some of the changes that have been put in that have already passed, for instance, targeting, you know, and, and again, if we're talking about a different conversation, that's that's probably another one. You know, you talk about targeting and the, the misinterpretations and the mess ups and the gaffes there, and they've had to adjust things here and there for targeting. But, you know, a, a lot of these new rules are basically just to, to limit things, all the protocols, you think about kickoff rules, you know, that have changed over time. A lot of different things, and so this is very much the way that the game has gone. And so, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, we used to think of back in the day, college football, of you know, guys probably being in the game when they shouldn't. You know, there's been so many studies at the NCAA level about head trauma. That's been a big, you know, point of emphasis. And so, I think a, a lot of this goes back to that. We, we've seen some very tragic things happen in football. And, and we learn more and more over the course of years about, you know, certain things that could have a negative effect on player safety. And so um, it, it'll be interesting to watch this continue to evolve. You know, Chris, I, I tend to think the natural reaction, especially though, like if we were looking at all the ages of fans, the older you got, the more you get into this reaction and I'm talking specifically about the changes to what is allowed in practice, how many padded practice you can have doing the Oklahoma drill. The natural reaction for people is to go, you know, yell at the clouds, basically. Like, this is not this is not football that I grew up with. You know, back when I was doing this, we had two-a-days. We had to, you know, and, and I, I think Pre- Preston Thorne, who does a great job in 107.5 and does, gives great insight, he has said this several several times that I've heard. He said football is a lot more fun than it used to be. And football, in a lot of ways, in practice, you you really practiced all year for an opportunity to go play, you know, your 13 games, your 12 games, you know, whatever it ends up being. You do a lot of things that just aren't very fun, first and foremost, and a lot of things that over time, statistically, scientifically, have been proved to be pretty dangerous. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think our natural reaction sometimes is like, well, why don't you, you know, just make it flag football or something is, is what we say about it. But if we want to still have football in 50 years and for it not to be flag football, then there are going to have to be changes like this, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, we all want football to continue. And the other side of this to me, Chris, is that if if you're a fan, you pay your money because you want to go watch your star players play. And we, how mad, rightfully so, has the collective South Carolina fan base been the last five years about all the injuries that have piled up as far as South Carolina football goes? If you're telling me that scientifically – eliminating some of these things can maybe take out a little bit of physicality, but means the star players are going to be available and there's a less chance they're going to get hurt in practice. That's the direction the NFL has been headed for, for years anyway. So to me, you're just putting everybody on a, on an even playing field if they follow these rules, which is another discussion entirely. And, and saying, this is what's allowed. This is not, Let's get the players to Saturday healthy. 
Yeah. And then, yes, they're going to hit. They're going to be physical. All that stuff's still going to be there. You can put in rules all you want. You can put in targeting. Guys are still going to be getting hit. Guys will still get hurt at times. But the chances of basically players getting hurt in practice, from what I read, statistically, they were seeing people were getting hurt in practice more than they were even getting hurt in the games, which makes sense because you have more practices. But anytime you can limit that, it's a good thing for the game and it's a good thing for the players. Ultimately, I actually think it's a good thing for the fans as well. Yeah, and, you know, there, there are, as with anything, especially when you're talking about coaches who are passionate, there's some different schools of thought on this. And one that, you know, here's an example that I read about the the Navy head coach, Ken Niamatololo. They had, you remember, they got absolutely blasted. I think it was in their first game last year. And basically, they could not really practice effectively because of numbers, because of COVID. He changed how they practiced, and it showed they were completely unprepared. In fact, he attributed an injury for one of their players that happened last year to him being unprepared for when they actually had the game. So that's a valid concern. Do you you scale back practice and then – that's a question. I mean, do you scale back practice physicality and then you get in the game and it's very physical and it's a little bit more is allowed – and then you're unprepared, and so you get hurt or, or whatever it may be. It seems like just from some stuff I've read, um, you know, reading some stuff from Ross Dellinger, last who we always talk about does a fantastic job, you know, they still have to-the-ground tackling and practices with this model that they're doing. They've actually made a lot of changes in Pop Warner. they made a lot of changes in the NFL that are fairly similar to this, and it, ha- it, it's, it has seemed to help with injuries, whether in practice – I haven't seemed to see any more during the games themselves. Um, and, and the on-field product has seemed to stay relatively good. And here's something else that Troy Calhoun from Air Force pointed out, the story I read from Ross Dellinger, it was quoted, and he talked about the fact that, you know, nowadays something you got to consider, whereas you used to maybe have offensive linemen that were 250, 270 pounds, now they're 310 and they're running 4-7 or whatever. The game can be more violent now because guys are bigger, faster, and more physical. You know, it's just like this. I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. Like th- this whole – everybody always talks about would, would this NBA team from the 1960s beat this team from 2020? The answer is no, they wouldn't because they're not even on the same – they're not in the same stratosphere. These guys would barely get their shot off against some of the you know Giannis from the Bucks running point at seven feet tall really you know it's so these guys have you know the athleticism size that the ability to strike those things have really changed and so we've seen a lot of really really violent collisions they used to have some but it, it upticked and that's when as the athleticism continued to progress and the skill level continued to progress you make some changes to scale things back. I don't know if there's a perfect solution. Like you can't just say anything goes. You can't say you can't do anything. You have to try to sort of meet in the middle somewhere. And I by no means want to be a defender of the NCAA. I'm not um, on almost any category, but I do understand um, in the name of player safety, trying to adjust some things. Well, I think you're saying point, Chris the players now are closer to reaching their physical and athletic capability, reaching their potential than they probably ever have been before. You know, strength and conditioning has been a part of the game, obviously for a long time now, but it's, it's almost maximized at this point, as far as scientifically being able to put the guys in, in a place to, uh, you know, they get bigger, they get stronger, they get faster because they've they've found a way to more efficiently build up their bodies as well. So that hasn't always been the case. There were all these, you know, you're going to overwork them. You're going to, you know, it's it's insane that and the level of, you know, the the weight room aspects and uh, what, what's available to these guys now is like near world class mm-hmm. and. That's not just at South Carolina. That's across the Power Five at your top schools. So 
you're talking about athletes who already they're they're bigger in general, but they're maxing out their potential. And, and some of that I, I saw an, I heard listened to an interesting conversation um, with the guys on the 755 is real podcast, which is uh, David O'Brien from the Athletic. Uh, this is a Braves thing, obviously. He had Erica Flaherty on there, the former pitcher that was with the Braves and several other teams. He said in baseball, he's noticing that because you know right now all base all the pitchers are throwing like ninety five. Like if you're if you're not throwing ninety five, then you're you're slow basically as far as your pitch velocity. Well, he's he thinks there's an uptick in the injuries in baseball because of the the bodies of these guys are just getting maxed out. So there's like um, so he like he he quoted some old manager and was like. Um, you can't you can't pull fat, and what he meant by that was, you know, you can pull a muscle, but you know, you're and, and granted, you want your guys to be in great shape. Like you're going, I, that's an obvious, but sometimes you max things out to where the human body is. I mean, look, look at offensive linemen and their playing weight. We've talked about this before, Chris. They'll be three hundred and ten pounds when they're playing. And then when they go off and they retire, go off into the real world, they go two directions and it's either they just eat whatever is in sight. And, you know, they might still be 315 pounds, but it's not a, a good 315 pounds or they end up being like 210 and being ripped because it's just not natural. I feel like to be those weights. So there's a, there's a lot at play here. And there's no like easy answer, and it's like a deep discussion here, but uh, but but it is an interesting point as far as what what helps injuries, what helps prevent injuries, and and, and all this. I, I think. Yeah, well, and, and I think one thing I thought of is look, look, Bo Jackson. If Bo Jackson played right now, he'd still be considered pretty freaky, right? Like, I mean, just his skill level at anything. I, I remember hearing that story about. Um, he, he had never like done diving like in an indoor swimming pool and he just like learned. And then he was like world-class at it within like 30 minutes. You know I mean? He's one of those guys that can do anything and he could, he could run all these things. Point is Bo Jackson on the field when he played, I mean, it, it was just this otherworldly type thing. Now, dude, I mean, I'm not saying – again, Bo Jackson would stand out. Anybody from his era, don't get mad at me for saying this. My point is there are a lot more freaky athletes now than there were when he played. There are a lot more freaky athletes than there were in the 1970s. You know, I mean, can you imagine some tackle from 1984 trying to block Jadavion Clowney in a college game or something? I mean, he probably sacked the quarterback every time. It, you know, so that, that's the point. It would be fun to watch, actually. It would be. But in, in every sport that we've seen, the skill level, and it goes back to many things, like you said, the amount of resources, the amount of training, you know, the extra training. We're seeing quarterbacks, baseball players. That's a couple examples that come to mind. They literally are training and specializing from the time they're like five or six years old all the way until they're in college. And so that has really pr- proliferated um, the nutrition, sports science, all these different things. And then there just seems to be some natural evolution to where people, like you said, they're maxing that potential. They're doing it earlier. And, um, and people have really tapped into the amazing feats that the human body can do. And so now when you get more than one guy at the NFL combine running a four, three, it's just um, four, three, pretty fast, you know? And, and, and it's just, that's, that's an incredible athletic feat. DK, People giving DK Metcalf, who is a giant, this hard time about, you know, running, what was it, a 10-3-6 in the 100? I mean, that's an absurdly freaky feat, but yet he's getting clowned about it. And that just shows you how far things have come in terms of athleticism and skill. The fact that he can just go out there and run that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's stupidly insane. Yeah. And uh, my, my buddy, uh, James Reynolds, who's the co- he's a coach over there at Irmo now. I was at Ben Lippin before. Uh, we were He was actually tweeting about this, and I, I responded to him. The 
number of people, we've talked about this before, that think they could just roll out of bed and run a 5-0 40-yard dash. Like, we think of a 5-0 as being slow because we've been, like, conditioned for that. And just a, a regular adult, if you went to a random office in Columbia and pulled out every adult that was in there and said, let's go run some 40-yard dashes, most of them ain't running a 5-0. No. Or anywhere close in a lot of cases. So it, it's funny. They're, they're, these athletes are just – and we're getting way off. I don't know if we even have a – I was not to say we're getting off subject. I don't even know what our subject was, honestly. But the, uh, these athletes, it's, it's not like – we'd like to think, oh, I could go out there and do that. No. No, you can't. No, I couldn't. No, you couldn't. Like, unless you played at that level, it's just they're on a different plane of existence as far as athleticism goes. And um, the, the fact that Metcalf could run that, dude, is absolutely freaky. Even if it was – was it last in the trials or something? Is that right? I didn't even read the article. Yeah, it was like last. And, I mean, who cares? I mean, that guy that guy's huge. To run that, it's remarkable. So yeah, I mean, I think I think our overall point was, as skill level increases, um, you know, it, it's like one of the the coaches uh, might have been Calhoun. It was somebody in that in that Dellinger piece that I mentioned. They were basically talking about, you know, it, you know, mass and acceleration is force, you know, and so you think about how big and powerful and then skilled some of these guys are. If you get hit by one of them in the wrong way, it ain't good, you know. So that that has just naturally happened, and so you have to look at it and say, okay, so we have that, and then we have all this research. And and some people may say, oh, you know, the research, whatever. But there is enough research that shows if you get bashed in the head enough times playing football or any other sport, get concussions, whatever sport it may be, it's not good. Or if your body, you know, you take so many hits to certain areas, it's not great for your body. So we have that. We know these things. We know the progression. And so that's why some of these new, that's why there's a push and rightfully so to try to make the game safer. And look, I get as irritated as anybody when they botch a targeting call. I mean, it is absurdly frustrating to watch someone get obliterated in a game it's the definition of targeting. They look at it and they say it's not targeting. And then somebody doesn't really target somebody and they call it. I mean, I understand all that. But the the rules being put in, some of these new safety measures, they're understandable because of where we're at in the game. What Are, are there changes this year to targeting? <laughs> it seems right. like there's changes every year. I, I don't know for sure. I haven't seen any. Uh, for 2021, I'll effort that and make sure. I know there, there's changes to overtime coming. Yeah, up overtime change. Um, that being after the or starting in the second period, uh, you got to go for two, and then when you get into the third overtime period, it's basically going to be just two point plays um, until somebody wins. Get successful two point plays, somebody misses theirs, you win the game. I don't think there's any new this year, Wes, 2021 targeting rules that I see. They did make some changes last year, um, but this year I haven't seen anything new. The thing about targeting that gets me is the fact that you're ejecting guys, you know, for – I think if you can if – it, if it appears the intent was not there, leave the tar- leave the 15 yards – but leave the guy in, and then if he has any issue at that point forward, then you can eject him. In my opinion, is my big problem with targeting is I get the the reason for the targeting is it, like the reason you have it is uh, is a situation where I, I'm in line with that. Like I understand we're trying to make it safer. The intent of the rule is good. But I think you look and you say, 
man, when these guys, when it, when a receiver ducks his head and that causes targeting with a defensive back, and then we kick the defensive back out of the game, that's when I, I think there's a problem because these kids work their tails off all year long for these 12, 13, 14 opportunities. And then we, we kick them out of a game for something that's completely out of their, uh, you know, something they can't handle, like something that was not their fault at all is an issue for me. So let, let's find a way to maybe adjust that part. Okay, so Chris, we normally only talk, for the most part, we talk Gamecocks, but again, it's a little bit slow. I got to get everybody's thoughts and reactions on this report because there, there's an SEC flavor here and a Columbia flavor here. Y'all will see where I'm going with it. You probably already know by now. Ian Rappaport tweeting at 2 o'clock as we came on the air that the Jaguars are planning to sign quarterback turned tight end Tim Tebow to a one-year deal that could be official in the next week or so. Nothing done yet, but he'll get a chance to make the team and reunite with Urban Meyer. Thoughts, chat room, and thoughts, Chris Clark. So I'll get my thoughts. I don't – people are sort of getting – some people, I will say – are getting a little irrationally upset about this. Always had his chances, blah, blah, blah. Why would you sign him? So, I mean, my, my thoughts are I'm not as fine because I'm not going to begrudge the guy getting another opportunity. Obviously, this isn't just a random move, right? I mean, he knows Urban Meyer, okay? Those guys have a great relationship. Tim, T- Tim Tebow has had great success with Urban Meyer, vice versa, athletically. You know, we'll see where he's at now in, in 2021. Uh, it's not like they're signing him to a guaranteed five-year, $8,000 million deal. I mean, they're going to give him a contract and, and see where it goes. If it doesn't work, they'll probably release him. You know, uh, it's, it's a business. But th- this is a thing that's going to drive interest. It's going to drive ticket sales. This is a business. This is a pro franchise. People, we remember Tebow Mania, minor league baseball, et cetera. It's going to happen to some degree again in football. And then he might can give you something as a player. This is a dude that's a really good athlete. And I know some people are stacking it up saying, well, so-and-so, you know, is probably a better player. There's probably better tight ends that are already in the league. They're not getting a chance. The way I see it, it's a free country. It's a free market for players. People make bad, good signings all the time. This one make, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, to, to bring him in. That's just my opinion though. And if it doesn't work out, it won't work out. Yeah, there's, you know, if you're the Jaguars, probably looking at it like this, very little downside to right. this. There's not much risk here. Now, tell you what, man, if I'm HBO, Hard Knocks is in Jacksonville. That's right. Year. That's you right. You got the Urban Meyer factor, Trevor yeah. Lawrence coming in, Tim Tebow trying out, done deal. Hard Easy. Knocks, get on the phone. Make it happen. I don't remember the rules on like the team rejecting it and and how all that works. But if if you're bringing Tebow in for reasons of trying to excite people and like the marketing aspect of this, being a Florida guy, both being from Florida and a UF guy, obviously, then I would take full advantage of the fact that you could probably get hard knocks down here to to handle. Uh, to, to sort of handle some of your PR stuff for you, you know, like get your your uh, your franchise out there. So that that'll be interesting to see if that happens. But I would I would not be surprised as we sit here on May 10th that you know you didn't see Hard Knocks there. And you know what I I always thought, and it's a little bit late now. We'll see if he makes an impact or not. Who knows? I always thought if he would have been willing to move to tight end years ago when he was in the league. He may he may still be working on a veteran career, you know. Yeah. Like I, I always thought he could have played tight end if he wanted to. Now this goes back to some of that physicality we were talking about. We like in sports we like to assign attributes to people just easily. Like we always want to move people want to move an athletic quarterback to receiver and think he automatically can catch the football. You know, we want to move Tim Tebow to tight end and think he automatically wants to block somebody every single play. That's not always the case. There, That's an attribute. That's a characteristic, being able to physically stick your head in there 
put your face in the fan, as one former Gamecock coach liked to say quite a bit. But, yeah, that, that's not a guarantee at all. But right. if there's one thing Tim Tebow has shown he's very good at, it is at keeping himself marketable. Mm-hmm. And even when he's in the minor leagues, I mean, I, I went to the – I mean, I go to Fireflies games anyway, but, dude – there's never been a buzz at Fireflies uh, games like when Tim Tebow was here in Columbia. So, yeah. you know, I, I think there there certainly is a marketing aspect here. And if you're Tim Tebow, you're right back in the limelight. Now you're, um, I don't know, parlaying this into your own freaking uh, reality show or something. Who knows? But th- there's always a marketing aspect when it comes to Tim Tebow. Yeah, man. I mean, and that's an obvious, like – that's helpful. You know, it's a, it's a Florida team, Jacksonville, it's Urban Meyer. It's, it's re, there's so many storylines for it. And, you know, we, we all remember the Tebow mania thing and, and all that jazz. So it makes a ton of sense. And then, you know, if, if it's a guy that happens to help you, if it ends up helping you, then that's, that's a bonus. That's a plus. It, it's a, I think you, you nailed it. It's a very, it's a low risk proposition for Jacksonville. They don't have to go give him some big contract, some big signing bonus. There's no reason to do that. They don't have to do that. So very low risk, and it's certainly going to drive interest. Like you said, they've got there's no shortage of storylines for them. Urban Meyer to Jacksonville on its own. Let's say they don't have a number one pick. That's a big enough storyline where it's going to drive season tickets for them. It's going to be a huge talking point on all the NFL shows, all sorts of stuff. It's going to be talked about a ton. Then you had number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, potential generational talent, number one pick. Then you add the match between those two. How's it going to work? Will it, won't it? Then you add Tim Tebow. There's just so many different, you know, layers to this thing that, that makes Jacksonville really compelling uh, this season. Interesting, Chris, looking at the Twitter reactions from former um, former players to, to sort of this thing. And, couple of guys that I follow and, and kind of, you know, respect their opinions. Jeff Swartz, uh, former offensive lineman, says, why is Tebow back in the NFL? There's no proper explanation for this. Dude hasn't seen the field in the regular season in eight years. Darius Butler, another one of my followers that I would actually recommend everyone that's on Twitter following, has a podcast as well. He says, from a football standpoint, it makes very little sense, but from a business standpoint, it was a no-brainer for the Jaguars. Very much what our folks here, Gamecock Russ, Travis Edwards, are all saying in the chat and what we're saying here. I, I think business-wise, genius move. If you're Tim Tebow, it's a genius move because right now if you go on Twitter.com, right there trending on the right, it says Tebow with 19.1 thousand tweets that have his name on it and I'm sure uh, trending upwards. So makes a lot of sense there. Uh, all right, so I think we're probably going to cut it a little bit short today, Chris. Um, hopefully, I would imagine by Wednesday we'll, we'll be able to talk about the new South Carolina commitment. He will have made himself known by then. We'll talk about that. Working on a guest, I think it's going to be – I've gotten a yes. We're just – we got to oh. figure out the timing. Probably going to be a Zoom record ahead. But uh, Juju McDowell, Gamecock, running nice. back signee, he's going to be reporting – on uh, on or around May 25th. And by the way, for those who are not on Gamecock Central, I reported it on Friday. Those of you who are into dates and like to know when guys are going to be getting into town, May 25th or so is sort of the next date where you're going to have incoming signees start to arrive on campus. So you have a, a nine-week South Carolina sort of summer semester that starts on June 1st. So that week before that, I, you know, I was talking to some of the guys, Chris. Some of them were like May 24th. Many of them were uh, were May 25th. Others were May 27th, I think. But right around there, you're going to have guys come in for, for June 1. And then there's another one that is on uh, June 21st. And uh, some other guys uh, will actually be in. Then TJ Sanders will be in for the June 21st date. But most of the guys that are already signed will be in. Actually, that's about two weeks from today, two weeks from tomorrow, and, and we'll go ahead and, and be ready because, you know, somebody somebody asked me on, on our board, Chris, they said, well, will the guys be working out in June? And I was like, well, well, yeah, <laughs> but 
it, it really, if you think about it, if you're a player right now, go ahead and go to the beach in the next two weeks. Go ahead and, you know, hang out with your girlfriend, see your family, because for these kids, the, the season, or the very least the preseason, whatever semantics, however you want to say it, it begins in June. Yeah. And there's not really much of a let up mixed in there in between. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, you know, when we think about the coaches, I mean, it, it's, they're going to be crazy busy because they're going to be dealing with some team stuff, obviously, especially you think about the strength staff, but they're going to be dealing with some stuff, but uh, obviously recruiting is going to be probably the craziest it's been in a while with so many kids itching to get back to campus. You're probably going to have bigger influx than you've had in a while. And it's going to be a priority for South Carolina, but for these players too, you know, just um, again, June, talk about getting into workouts, July, then August, you're at preseason camp. That's a crazy busy time. That's school then as well. So yeah, they definitely have to get it in. Wes, if we need to take any more downtime, we should probably do it this month. Any Gamecock fans, you should do it this month because in June, you're going to be really busy reading GamecockCentral.com all day and checking out all the news on recruiting and football and all sorts of stuff. No doubt. Uh, Charles Stone, uh, we are going to let the commitment uh, announce his decision himself, and then we'll have complete coverage of that on GamecockCentral.com. For everybody in the chat and all of our listeners after the fact, we appreciate your support. Appreciate Clint Hammond and his support. He is our presenting sponsor. Clint Hammond, of course, uh, the main man at the Mortgage Network, 803-771-6933. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back on Wednesday for another episode of Gamecock Central Live. We'll see you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.